1: edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball as we are uh, attempting our start for the second time today i was trying to start with a, a foster dog on my lap and i was hoping that he was going to do his little sniff into the microphone and he didn't do it and then my internet connection got unstable so we're taking you behind the scenes to let you know that it could have been a very adorable start to this show and instead it's just me rambling hi my name is tyler ron benjamin hill and sam dykstra are in new york city how are you dudes
2: good I, I was just about to sniff into the microphone but uh I decided to save that for uh, a very special episode in the near future.
1: Right. That's going to be our all um, olfactory episode. It's like a scratch and sniff sticker. Um, Sam, what's going on? How are you? You're on the blurry side of the screen today.
3: Yeah. Ben has decided to do the uh, blurred background version of of Zoom, which I'm sure many of you at home have used in the past for people who, you know, you don't want everybody to see what's in your background. Um, But apparently that is me
4: today.
1: Well, I'm assuming that you're there and that you're healthy and you're not blurry. I think I've already made this joke, but it's like that Black Mirror episode where I've blocked you from my brain and now I can't see your face. You're just a blur. Uh, but I can still see Ben, which is good because his hair looks immaculate today uh, we got a lot coming up for you on the show before the show podcast this week We got a really fun interview with the amazing Tyler, which is not something that I call myself Uh, it is actually, uh, an entirely different Tyler We have multiple Tylers on the show this week Very excited about it We'll tell you about the amazing Tyler coming up here in a little bit Um, as always, you can get in touch with the show Podcast at MILB.com. You can tweet at us at Ben's Biz, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and at Tyler Mon. And without further ado, it is time to dive in and tell you about some exciting news as Benjamin Hill uh, is rolling out a brand new dimension to the Ben's Biz empire, the Ben's Biz cinematic universe. Uh, There is a new uh, Ben Hill newsletter, which is dropping, as the kids say, later today, uh, it is Thursday afternoon now A lot of you will probably already be on the distribution list for this email newsletter Because you're part of the MILB distribution side But uh, Ben, tell us about the newsletter, this is really cool
2: Yeah, you know, as uh, I don't want to say many, but I'm, as, as a lot of people know who follow my career I wrote the Ben's Biz blog for a lot of years, and that's really where people really seem to start, first start reading my work. And it was a great place to just kind of condense and compile all the information that I was uh, becoming aware of week in and week out in the minor league baseball world. And I uh, haven't had the blog for a few years, but the newsletter, newsletters and the new blogs. And I'm really excited to have this, um, you know, every week trivia questions, every week, um, you know, reader engagement things like uh, uh, question of the week related to some aspect of the minor league baseball experience. Uh, I want people to be in touch. I want people to share their own memories of minor league baseball games. Of course, I want to share news, promos, ballparks, food, uh, you know, my own memories, my own upcoming travels, Um, just your one-stop shop for uh, the business and culture of minor league baseball, the Ben's Biz Beat newsletter, the newsletter of minor league baseball, fun, fan experience, business and culture, whatever you want to call it. But I'm actually very excited about this. If it does not arrive in your inbox uh, just because you're already on them on a minor league baseball distribution list, uh, you know, check Twitter at Ben's Biz, email me Benjamin at MLB.com, Instagram the Ben's Biz, whatever. I will be sharing links. I want as many people as possible to uh, hopefully get on board with this. And uh, make it a, not just a place for information, but a place for, uh, you know, some community to build as well and to, to share the stories of others in addition to sharing what minor league baseball teams are doing all over the country. So we are talking today on Thursday, April 14th. It should appear later today if I hit send and everything goes according to plan. I'm a little nervous, you know, first time you get nervous, but hit send and we're off. And I'm excited about that. So please subscribe to the Ben's Biz Beat newsletter. The newsletter of minor league baseball fun. Give us the lowdown of what's in this
1: opening edition. What can fans expect in the newsletter going forward?
2: Well, I have a little bit of an overview of 2022 promos uh, to look forward to this season. Um, have a, a little spotlight on uh, the Greenville drive and their big Joe Davis bobblehead and a separate story coming on that pretty soon. Um, big Joe Davis in Greenville. Uh, he's kind of a cult hero, a folk hero, Uh, in minor league baseball circles, big, beefy, bearded first baseman. And he um, gained a reputation last year in Greenville uh, because he, well, one, just fans saw him and liked him because he doesn't look like an athlete. And you know fans, when they see someone who doesn't look like an athlete, they can relate and they kind of say, hey, if he can do it, maybe I can. Or at least there's more of a a connection felt there. But he also lives in a camper throughout the 2021 season, uh, often along with his roommate, teammate, Stephen Scott, And um, he makes his own sausage and he's an avid outdoorsman. And there's this sort of legend building up around him. And the the bobblehead of the Greenville Drive gave away feature him uh, grilling one of his homemade sausage links while hunkered down in front of his camper. Uh, So really unique thing. Uh, The legend of Big Joe Davis continues to grow. That is in the newsletter. Uh, I got some trivia in the newsletter but you'll have to uh, read the newsletter to uh, see and perhaps answer the trivia. Uh, what else is in there? I think we have food items of the week. Uh, this time, I think I uh, focused on the uh, the Akron rubber ducks. I believe we talked about this, but their take on the Polish boy, that never saw such a thing. Never saw such a thing. What a weird name for a concession <laughs> item, but it's got a baked potato bun. And the, a lot of other things I'm forgetting. Oh, like Jim Weber, long time announcer for the Toledo Mudhens, 6,000 straight game called, which is an amazing streak dating back to 1975. Meanwhile, in Rochester, Fred Costello, organist, is starting his 46th season for the Rochester Red Wings, which, per the team, is the longest tenured uh, sports organist in professional sports history. So uh, I haven't independently confirmed that, but either way you look at it, 46 seasons for Fred Costello. Uh, I guess it's actually 48 seasons now for Jim Webber, 6,000 straight games uh internationally got this stuff i just keep going and uh, i'm really excited to share as much of it as i can the way i've been sharing it on the on the podcast every week but uh think of the newsletter as the podcast in written form similar but also different actually don't think of it that just it's just a new thing just get into it thank you
3: i i I just want to go back to the big joe davis bobblehead real quick because like you said there's going to be a separate story on this as well um i'm fascinated by it not just because Big Joe Davis is a big, beefy first baseman who hits big, beefy home runs, and I think that's what drives his uh, full hero status. But just how rare is it that we hear about guys getting bobbleheads while they're still in the minor leagues? I know that happens. Like Tristan Cassis of the Boston Red Sox, same organization, had a bobblehead night in Worcester this week, but he's a top prospect. So it's usually the bigger names who get the T-shirts, the, you know, the, the bobbleheads, these promotions. How often or how rare is it for a guy who is not a big prospect, is not a big name outside these cities, to get this type of status this quick.
2: It's really rare because if you think about it, Big Joe Davis, who actually didn't get the Big Joe nickname until he came to Greenville, um, he he didn't arrive in Greenville until mid-July of the 2021 season and only played 47 games for the team, of which I assume maybe roughly half were at home. And he became so popular so quickly that the team decided in the offseason to make this bobblehead based on this guy playing 47 games total. And then for him to start this season in Greenville to be on a high A team and be with the team while the team is giving away a bobblehead of you, I, I can't think of that happening in the minor leagues uh, essentially ever. And it really goes to show how popular this guy became in such a short amount of time in Greenville. Uh, you know, debut in mid-July, the season's over, uh, you know, less than two months later. And in the offseason, the team makes a bobblehead of you and not just a bobblehead, but one featuring you uh, grilling your homemade sausage links in front of your the camper that you lived in during the season. I mean, uh, people are getting into this story. And I certainly imagine, especially with a fan base like the Red Sox, um, you know, knock on wood, if Big Joe continues to do well, you know, uh, people in double A Portland are going to get into it and triple A Worcester. And of course, should he get there? Boston. I mean, my goodness, if big Joe Davis makes it to the major leagues, expect many, many stories on it and then think, hey, the first or one of the first places I read about it was just a a humble man named Ben Hill who wrote about it. And think of me and smile. That's all I ask.
1: We always think of you and smile, Ben. Um, you, ben. And uh, we're coming up on Jackie Robinson Day here in 2022, and of course, Jackie Robinson, such deep roots uh, in minor league baseball, but not just in minor league baseball, also in minor league baseball communities. And uh, you've got a story coming up on his impact on one of those communities, which is Daytona, Florida. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, well, as we've talked about in the past, um, you know, one of minor league baseball's uh, you know industry wide initiatives this year is called The Nine, and that's dedicated to uh, Negro League history, um, increasing, you know, black fandom, uh, promoting today's black players. But it's called The Nine because Jackie Robinson wore number nine uh, in 1946, uh, beginning in spring training in Daytona Beach. And as we've talked about several times on this podcast, the Daytona Beach or Daytona Tortugas, you know, now play in a ballpark named for Jackie Robinson. Uh, because he played there in 1946. So there's just such a history there. So tied in with Jackie Robinson Day and uh, tied in with what some other teams are doing across minor league baseball as well related to Jackie Robinson or Negro League history on April 15th. Um, I'm really focusing on what Daytona is going to do this year, the Daytona Tortugas. Um, At one point, they're going to be celebrating John Wright, who is a name that gets overlooked sometimes. But when uh, Jackie Robinson signed with the Dodgers organization, John Wright, a black pitcher signed as well. So he was also at that 1946 spring training, and in with the Triple A Montreal Royals that year, so uh, I think it's cool they'll be doing a promotion around him, giving away a John Wright T-shirt, uh, telling that story, and also uh, telling the story of Mary McLeod Bethune, who um, played a big role. You know, she founded the college that is now Bethune Cookman College. Um, you know, but a black woman who founded this college in Daytona Beach, and it was her college and her connections throughout the community that played a huge role in Daytona Beach you know, ignoring the pre-existing Jim Crow segregation laws to allow Jackie Robinson to play there in the first place. I and mean, we often talk about, you know, Jackie Robinson spent 1946 spring training Daytona beach, but I think it's good to look more at the, uh, the question of why, you know, why Daytona beach? Why did they allow him to play there when other nearby communities did not? And, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune plays a, a big role in that. So uh, I think it's cool that, When you play in Jackie Robinson ballpark, uh, there's a lot of areas uh, for historical exploration and education and cool to see the Tortugas doing that. I'm going to write up a little piece on that as well, which will appear tomorrow. I got a lot of work to do guys. We all do. It's busy time.
1: Busy time, but that's a good thing. And uh, speaking of busy time, one of the busiest people in all of baseball is coming up in our next segment on this week's episode of the show before the show,
2: Ben, get us ready for the amazing Tyler. Yeah, we talked to the amazing Tyler. Tyler Shore, I mean, you'll hear the interview and we get right into it. So let's just say he's a very busy touring performer, ballpark performer. You'll probably see him in a minor league game this year if you go to a significant number of games. And he has a very interesting claim to fame. If he can lift something up, he can balance it on his nose. And he's made a whole career out of that. Is that not fascinating? Let's listen to the interview. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty
3: insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: My name is Benjamin Hill. I am joined in New York city, sitting to my left or standing to my left by Sam Dykstra. Tyler Mon is in Colorado and we are joined by another Tyler who happens to be married to someone named Tyler. We've got a lot of Tyler action going on today. But we are talking to Tyler Shore, a.k.a. the amazing Tyler, amazing Tyler's balancing act, a uh, ballpark performer, sports performer who has uh, over 30 dates at minor league ballparks uh, this season, over 60 at, you know, baseball parks in general over the summer. A very busy man. And Tyler, just to start, I mean, I know it's a common question. You're the amazing Tyler. You perform at sporting venues all over the country. Uh, A lot of minor league fans are going to see you at ballparks this year. What makes you amazing? What is it that you do?
4: Yeah, so I have the ability to balance anything I can lift. I can balance it on my face. And I don't want to interrupt it. This probably is a question you have later on in the show. But the first question people always ask me when they hear that is like, how do you discover you have a talent like that? So I was 11 years old. I was bored one day at baseball practice. I balanced a baseball bat on my nose and realized I could balance anything I could lift. So I went around my house. I went around my school, picked up, you know, anything I could lift, pencil, ruler, ironing board, chair, bike, and realized if I could lift it, I could balance it first try. So I travel all around the country, like you said, performing at minor league parks, uh, just balancing crazy objects on my nose and my chin. Okay, but I think we kind of missed something in the middle of that anecdote. You found you have this
2: amazing and unique skill, but it doesn't necessarily naturally follow that, oh, this is going to be my career now. How did you develop this? Uh, you know, when did you decide this is something I can do in front of audiences? And then
4: uh, how did you go about you know, building a business and getting these bookings? For sure. So, kind of a lengthy story. Hopefully, we don't go over our our time limit here. But I'll give you the 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 shortened version. So, yes, eleven years old, I discovered I could balance things on my face, and then for like a couple a couple years, I didn't really do anything with it. I actually kind of thought it was things that the average person could do, just like you know, clapping your hands or whistling. I just thought, you know, why am I special? Everyone could probably do this. And then, I guess a couple years later, I realized, no, like I'm pretty much like one of the only ones that could do this. So. Um, I made it into a talent show at 13. I did it at my church for the first time and then did it at like a local mall and then local, you know, teen talent shows. I won a couple of shows. And then at 16, um, I was like, I wonder if a team will let me do a halftime show for them. So I contacted Temple University and said, Hey, will you guys allow me to do a halftime show? Um, and they're like, Yeah, I'll come out and do a show. So I, I did a you know three or four shows, you know, from 16 to 17 years old, just you know, doing halftime shows in local Philadelphia, like um uh, LaSalle, Penn, Princeton, Drexel. And then um, I was doing one of my shows somewhere, I think, at University of Pennsylvania, and Jay DeFrugio, the commissioner of the Atlantic 10 conference, came to me and said, Tyler, love your show. Can you come do our conference basketball tournament in March? And I was like, Yeah, I'll come to your show. And he's like, Great, how much do you charge? And I'm like, uh, "What do you mean?" He's like, "What's what's your fee for a show?" And I wasn't charging at the time. And here I am, 16 years old. I go, "I don't know, like 25 bucks." And he like laughs in my face. He's like, "Dude, 25? Shut shut up, dude." He's like, "We'll give you 500 dollars a show, and we'll pay for your travel." And I'm like, "Okay, works for me." So here I am. You know, I'm doing. A five-minute show, five hundred bucks. I think I'm living the dream. Um, So I just start doing it all on the weekends. You know, probably three or four shows a year for the next, gosh, six years. And I was doing, you know, three or shows, three or four shows a year for about five hundred bucks until my senior year of college. Um, I'm getting my resume reviewed, and this lady at my school said, "What does this say here on your resume? You do halftime shows?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I, I, I bounce, you know, ladders and bikes on my face." And, and I'm like, "And guess how much I charge per show?" And she's like, "What's that?" I'm like. I make $500 a show. I'm all proud. And she's like, mm, yeah, that's not a lot of money. I'm like, no, no, it's, it's it's a five minute show. And I'm making $500. Like it is a lot of money. And she's like, dude, no, it's not like, I'm telling you it's not. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what, 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 should I be charging? And she's like, well, you know, I would Google, you know, the other halftime shows around the country and, and contact them and ask them what they're charging. And that's, that's what I did. I actually became friends with a couple other, um, national halftime acts, and, and found out that I was definitely undercharging by a lot. Um, so here I am, senior year of college, and I'm thinking, okay, I can either use my degree as a PE teacher and you know go to school and have bratty kids and report cards and parent-teacher conferences and all that fun stuff, or I can live the dream and travel the country doing halftime shows for basketball, for baseball. So that's when I decided. I'm going to make this a full-time job wasn't until my senior year of college at 22 years old, when I made this my full-time job. And, uh, I've been the number one, most booked halftime show in college basketball the last five years. Um, and I've been the number one, most booked entertainment act in baseball the last two years. So it's been a crazy run, but that's kind of my story of how it became a full-time job where I am today.
3: Yeah. And you talked about there, how you work, you know, college basketball games in the winter baseball in the summer, Do you change your act depending on what sport it is? Like it's an outdoor venue, indoor venue, or if it's based off a certain place, like how much does your act change place to place, venue to venue, sport to sport even?
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, so I've been doing basketball for the past five years. The items have pretty much stayed the same. Like it's always the same, you know, start with an umbrella and then do an ironing board and chair, a bike, wheelbarrow. And it, you know, gets higher and bigger and bigger. Um, the only thing I kind of change is the music. I try to kind of keep up with the, the the current hip songs that the kids are playing on their you know, whatever they call these days, or iPhones, I guess, really, really haven't gone anywhere in the past four years technology-wise. I was going to say, like, the, the Walkmans or the CD players, but um you no, know, I try to change up the music every once in a while just to, you know, stay up to date. Um Same thing with baseball. It's pretty much been the same on-field stuff for the past five years. I just try to change the music up. I mean, the only times I do change things up is if a team reaches out to me and says, hey, Tyler, we have Star Wars night this weekend. Can you make it fit our theme and I'll do a lightsaber or I'll wear a cape or a, a team will say, Hey, we're doing our, our circus night this week. Can you, you know, fit our promotion or it's, you know, breast cancer wearing this night. Can you wear pink shoes? You know, so I'll try to change the appearance or change the props that I balance to fit their promotion. But if it's just a random, you know, Thursday night, Saturday night, it's it hasn't really changed much as far as on um, the props, but yes, yeah, So basketball is a six minute show where I, I climb ladders while balancing. I ride scooters. Baseball, I take my six-minute halftime show and I split it up into five little mini shows throughout the night. Um, but basically, whether it's a baseball show or a basketball show, you're, you're going to get those big items like the bicycle, the wheelbarrow, the eight-foot ladder, the 10-foot ladder, stuff like that. Those are always this, the same constants that I always use.
3: Yeah. And, and again, just going back to some of the differences here, being baseball, you said you split it up between five different segments. But you're an outdoor venue. I imagine being a balancing act, you might have to deal with wind. Has there been a, ever been a time where you've had to like cancel or postpone or again, change the <laughs> act because of the, the atmosphere?
4: Um, there's only been one performance in my career for baseball. I've done 250 performances. There's been, only been one show where I actually told the team like, hey, it's so windy. I can't do my stuff in the crowd. And actually I haven't hit on that yet. Going back to differences between basketball and baseball. So basketball games, I come out, I watch the first half, I do a six minute halftime show and I leave. Baseball is so much more fun. And that's why I've been getting so many bookings these past couple of years. Cause I do my stuff on the field throughout the night, you know, I'll balance a baseball bat, a crutch, uh, an irony board. And then when I'm not on the field, I actually go into the crowd and I'm in the crowd the entire night. And what I'll do is I'll go in front of a whole section and I'll say, Hey guys, I'm here because I can balance anything on my face. I want you guys to challenge me to balance whatever you guys got. Anything you got, wave it up in the air, throw it my way. I want to balance it. So for two hours or the night, I'm balancing hats, gloves, shoes, water bottles, beers, strollers, prosthetic legs, hot dogs, you, you name it. I have balanced every single thing in the book all game long. So, um, the on-field stuff when I'm doing, you know, the bats and the wheelbars and ladders, if it's windy, I might have to shift around a little bit, but I've never had an issue on field with wind. It's when I go in the crowd and people give me, you know, dollar bills or straws or, um, bags of chips that, you know, if if a, a wind gust comes, it might, you know, take me a couple of tries to do that, but I'll try to, when I go in the crowd, I'll try to let the wind die down for a second and then balance it. But yeah, wind is, can be a challenge in the crowd. Rain is also an issue. You know, As you can imagine, when I'm balancing things, I'm looking straight up at the item that I'm balancing. And if it's raining, I'm getting pelted in the face with rain. And I also wear contacts. So every once in a while when it's raining, I'll get a big drop that hit me square in the eye and my contact will shift. And now all of a sudden everything's blurry and it's you know all those factors that no one thinks about until and, and, and you get there.
1: Let me uh, ask you about maybe like a deeper element of this. It seems as though uh, in order to be really good at balancing things on your face, you kind of have to have an understanding of like physics or, uh, you know, the weights and the the movements and the weight distributions of all that. Are you good at other like STEM related things? Is this something like when you were a kid, were you good at you're turning around and looking at your wife? So I'm assuming it's not only a no, but it's like a comical
4: no. It, well, it's a comical <laughs> no, because I am always falling down. Like I, my wife is laughing because I came home from a show last week. I was in you know, Texas and Oklahoma and California. I came home and I like tripped through the front door. I came in the room. I like hit myself on the bed. I fell down. I was bringing a suitcase to the living room. I fell down again. Like I am so bad. <laughs> on my feet. I fall down all the time in the airports, on planes, I'm falling down all over the place. So I have awful balance on my feet and phenomenal balance on my nose. And I don't know how I do it. People say like, oh, wow, you must have, you know, you must practice all the time. You must be so, you know, well-balanced in life. Like, no, I have no idea how I balance things in my face. I've never had to practice. It's just, it came naturally. It's a God-given talent. Like and that's why it's so fun. People say like, "Wow, you must practice a a ton." I practice zero minutes a year. During COVID, I went 375 days between shows, and I went out for my next show without practicing for those 300 days. Went out, killed it. Didn't drop any. It just it's 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 always. I guess it's like riding a bike, um, but. I, I never had to ride the bike the first like people ride the bike and fall a lot fall down and like I never even did that like the you first balance ever- the bike,
1: bike on your nose yeah,
4: yeah no like literally first thing was a baseball bat and then literally anything I grabbed I could balance first try I never had to practice so um I wonder if I could you know find something in this room that I could balance for you um, that lamp get the lamp no, I'm just a lamp <laughs> the lamp's broken, here, here, get something here. that's breakable one of my one of my favorite things. So when you say am I good with balancing other stuff, you know, the, the listeners at home can't see this, but this is my favorite thing to balance. These are um, just you know sunglasses, regular right?
1: sunglasses,
4: regular sunglasses. There's there's no Tyler my spinning them around
1: know. like a good magician no to wires, make sure that we know there's no,
4: yeah. ragged, there's no strings, right? So I love doing this because this just blows people's minds.
1: He is now balancing them on the earpiece of the sunglasses holy cow, that really is nuts. How is that possible?
4: There, I know. there are physics involved so, in this that don't make any sense. So when you said that, do I have an understanding of physics? The answer is no. I don't know how this works. And, and what's really funny is when I do that trick at baseball games, yeah, balancing baseball bats or brooms or hockey sticks or all that up and down. But when you do that and you balance it by the thing that rests on your ear and it has that weird angle, people always are telling me like i don't understand how that works cuz i mean it's like everything you've been taught for your entire life physics wise says your eyes are telling your brain what you're seeing but your brain says like no that's that's not possible like everything i've learned my whole life says that's not possible and people ask me all the time like okay like what's the trick and I'm like what like what do you mean like okay like well, come on like what's the secret and i'm like I'm not a magician. Like, you know, like when you're, when you're watching a magic act and, the, and the, the magician saws the girl in half, he's not actually sawing the girl in half. He ma- he's making it look hey, that what? way. What? He's making, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> what did um, this happen? <laughs> he's not actually sawing the girl, but people, they make it look that way. So it's an illusion. What I'm doing is not an illusion. It's not a trick. I'm actually, I have the crazy ability to balance things on my face and People don't, don't they'll they always ask me, like, oh come on, like where's is it a magnet? Is there is there something in your nose? Is there a string? and like, I literally just took a dollar bill out of your wallet and bounced it on my nose. Like, did I did I plant that bill in your wallet? No, it's all legit. It's so it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So the idea I, that I you... questions about physics. I don't know how I do it
1: the idea that you have had like a, like a magnet implanted into your nose or your chin. And this is just all an elaborate ruse because of a, a surgical procedure that you had. Let me, you alluded to this earlier. I would imagine beyond the, like, how did you discover this about yourself? The follow-up question is always probably what is the weirdest thing that you have bounced on your nose, but you just happened to throw out there that you've done prosthetic limbs. Uh, what's uh, what's the story there. And is anything as, as uh, unorthodox as a prosthetic
4: limb? So again, when I go into the crowd, one of my things that I make sure I tell the people is I say, Hey guys, I'm here so I can balance anything on my face, whatever you have, anything you have, throw my way. And they take that literally, and, and I want them to. I'm not, I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke and saying, you know, anything you have, and then like people hold up this. Nope, 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 nope. Only things that I approve, like only um I can make some jokes there, but I'm not. Um uh but you no, know, it's it's literally anything the fans have. And I've had some pretty crazy stuff, but yes, I have gotten prosthetic legs. I'm on my phone right now, hoping to show you a picture of a couple of prosthetic legs. Here is one when I was in Bismarck, North Dakota. That is a,
1: uh, a fully, it's kind of um, like a, it's like a, it's got a shoe and a big sock. on. That's like a hiking boot. That one. Wow. These are, this is no
4: joke. Wow. Now the one that's the best and I wish I had a picture of it was I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan performing for the Kalamazoo growlers and some like 65 year old vet, you know, as I'm what else can I do? What else can I do? Hold up a whole leg. Like those pictures were just like knee right, down, from, and, like, like the half knee down. down. Yeah. This was, this was like, butt down. This was a <sighs> huge thigh, a full leg. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, I picked up the leg. And it bent at the knee as I went to balance it. And I'm I'm like, you know, you know, playing the part. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm, I'm the heebie-jeebies like Aah. people are laughing. I ended up balancing the whole leg. But um, I mean, craziest things i I balanced. Yes. Prosthetic legs are definitely one of those, you know, weird props. I mean, people have given me wheelchairs, like 50 pound wheelchairs. Those are not comfortable. Um, Holy cow. Those very much hurt. And I guess another question people always ask me is like, okay, does that hurt your face? Uh, Yes, it does. You try putting a 50 pound ladder on your face and see if it's comfortable. Yeah. Yes, it hurts. Um, I'm just trying to go through other stuff here. Here's one time I was in Bismarck North or uh, I was in Dickinson, North Dakota, and I'm going to the crowd. Hey, what else can I balance? And someone's like, do my dog as a joke. And I'm like, where is your dog? And they're like, oh, wait, you're serious. I'm like, yeah, I'm serious. Let me, let me balance your dog. Give me this and dog. And it was like a, you know, like a, four pound dog um what i ended up doing was i took the dog and i put it up into a chair okay and i balanced i balanced chair and dog together
1: this was the most thrilling moment of the crowd's life and the most
4: terrifying moment of the dog's life the dog what is up I mean, there like it- what is happening it, I, i've people are giving me their food that's a full ice cream cone on my nose um one of the most popular things that i do at baseball games is i'll take a full like 30 ounce cup of beer Fantastic! i will put it on top of a water bottle and i'll balance water bottle and beer together um people are giving me trash cans i'll do a whole f- trash can amazing um But yeah, I mean the general managers, the team owners, the presidents, they love this because it's something that has never been done before in minor league baseball. You know, a lot of the other national acts, you know, they'll come out, they'll do their four or five shows on the field, and then that's it, they leave. Not with me. I come out, I do my four or five shows on the field, and I literally stay in the crowd for two hours. I visit every single section of the ballpark. And if I'm in a section where there's 30 kids that want me to balance their glove. I will balance every single one of their gloves. At first, when I did this, I was like, "Hey, you know, let's, you know, let's change it up. I already, did a, I already did a glove. I already did a hat. Give me something new." And then I realized that's that's not that's not the point. Like, I don't want to turn down kids because I can do if, if there's 15 kids with their gloves in the air and I do 14. Well, the 15 kid doesn't care. He wants me to balance his glove, and that's and that's a good it point. took me, like it took me two years for me to realize that that 15th kid will not be satisfied watching me do 15, 14 gloves until I balance his glove. Cause he'll, he'll go home to school, he'll go home, he'll go to school the next day the like, guys amazing Tyler balanced my glove on his face. That kid is going to have memories for a lifetime. So that's uh, um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other, you know, like you said, odd stuff. I mean, yeah. Funnel cakes. I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll take a, uh, a fork. I'll stab a funnel cake. I'll flip it upside down and I'll, I'll balance it from the fork funnel cake on top. I'm getting pelted with the sin the, of the powdered sugar, um, I'm just trying to think of other, other fun stuff All right,
1: so I got to ask you One final follow-up on this topic then Have you <laughs> been defeated it. by anything? Has there been an object that you have tried In front of a crowd and it just hasn't worked? Like obviously you said things that you can lift So it's not like, oh, here's my 1975 Chevy K5 Blazer Like right. that hasn't happened But has there been anything that you just
4: haven't been able to make work? Right. I've never dropped anything. And that's also on my website. And, a, and a, a thing I'm very proud of people always ask me, you ever get hurt? You ever I've been doing this for, well, since I was 11, I'm now 27. So it's pretty much 16, 17 years. And I have never dropped a single item ever. And I'm very proud of that. People say like, Oh, there's always a first. I'm like, no, there's there's not like, I'm, I'm very confident what I do. Um, But when I say anything I, I can lift, I can balance. There is a little asterisk. It has to be bigger than like A cell phone. It can't be like you know. People say like, "Oh, balance this peanut." I can't do a peanut, but what I do do at baseball games is really funny. Is I'll take the peanut, I'll say, "Here we go," and I'll slowly lower it and I'll shove it into my nose, and then look around, (laughs) and then and people go, "Oh!" And then I'll whoever gave it it to me, I'll I'll, like you know, snot rocket it back out to the kid, or I'll take it out and and try to get it. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but it's it's the really really small stuff that I can't do. So people give me um, like I said a peanut. People ask me if you like a quarter. Um, like a car key, um, a bottle cap, you know, stuff like that. Is, that's too small. Is but yeah, it's bigger than like a cell phone. Anything bigger than a cell phone, I can do. But nothing's ever like stumped me. Like, I know I can't do those small stuff, so I don't even try it. You know, ready? Right? You know what I mean? Well, fans, uh, you can perhaps try to
2: stump the amazing Tyler at a minor league ballpark near you. Uh, Tyler, you're in, I believe, Reno right now, and traveling all over the country this year. Um, what are some of your upcoming tour dates and where can people find you?
4: Yeah. Well, upcoming tour dates. And I listed every show. We'd be here for a long time. Like I, like you said, I have 30 something minor league affiliate games and a total of 68 games total. Um, Some of my big games coming up this year, I'm doing the Philadelphia Phillies on May 8th and June 12th. I mean, to wrap up this April um, tonight, I mean, Reno next week, I'm doing Texas A&M softball and doing the Birmingham Barons, the, the lookouts in Chattanooga. Um, my, my July, which is really funny and real quick, just go through my July, just cause it's such a crazy schedule. So if you're around me in around anywhere in July, July 1st, I'm doing the Williamsport Crosscutters. July 2nd, Asheville tourists, July 3rd, Amarillo sod poodles, July 4th, Sugarland skeeters, July 6th, Eau Claire express, July 7th, Wisconsin woodchucks, July 9th, Everett aqua socks, July 10th, Everett aqua socks, July 11th. The Yakima Valley Pippins, July 12th, Walla Walla Suites, July 14th, Altoona Curve, July 15th, the Kane County Cougars, July 16th, Fort Wayne Tin Caps, July 19th, the Northwoods League's All-Star Game, July 21st, the Mankato Moondogs, July 22nd, the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks, July 23rd, in the morning, I'm doing the Wiffle Ball World Series in South Dakota, on July 23rd, I'm doing the Sioux Falls Canaries as well. Uh, July 24th, Lacrosse Loggers, July 26th, St. Cloud Rocks, July 28th, Green Bay Rockers, July 29th, Beloit Sky Carp, and July 30th, the Springfield Lucky Horseshoes. Now, people hearing that at home might think that's my whole summer schedule. That's just July. So that took a long time to read, and that's why I said I won't go through all my shows because we'd be here for a long time. But um, my website, which is amazing Tyler.com. If you go on that website, I have a tab that says upcoming shows, click on that. You'll see all my shows by date, um, come out, to try to stump me. Actually, when you see, try to stump me fun, fun story for you real quick. I, last year I did a show, um, in Syracuse, New York on in July. And the following month I did a show in Buffalo, New York, um, about a month later, and I'm in the crowd in Buffalo, and I'm like, hey, you guys, what else can I balance? Someone goes, do a vacuum. You know, people always shout out dumb things to like, do my balance my wife? Like, no, I'm not doing, I'm not balancing your wife. Um, so I was like, oh, do a vacuum. Very funny. And this guy holds up like a 30 pound big vacuum. And I'm like, why, why are you watching a baseball game with a vacuum? And the guy's like, I saw you in Syracuse and I saw you're coming back to Buffalo. So I brought this vacuum from my house for you to balance. And I'm like how'd you get through security? And they're like, well, it was tough to stop me. But once I told them like, no, today's promotion is a balancing guy. We're supposed to bring himself to balance. They let me through. I'm like, I cannot believe they let you through the front gate with a vacuum, but um, I balanced the vacuum. The guy was very happy. And that's probably one of the weirdest things as well as uh, an upside down vacuum from the handle. Very fun.
2: Well, there you have it. Tyler, the amazing Tyler, coming soon, very likely to a ballpark near you. Bring your vacuum to the ballpark and uh, have some fun. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us on the show before the show podcast.
4: Thank you so much for having me, Ben.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: So we'll move on to talk uh, some on-field baseball stuff here on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. But you can, of course, check out The Amazing Tyler at that domain that he stole from me, AmazingTyler.com. What a bummer. I was going to get that. And uh, then I realized I lack the qualities of the amazing um, descriptor. So I... uh, I, I was unable to purchase it. Um, what, a, what a wild way to make a living. That is that is a heck of a crazy thing to discover about yourself. I also like that he just like, well, I balanced a baseball bat on my face. And then I realized I can do it with anything. Like you just, I I want to know what the very next thing for 11-year-old Tyler was. Like, should I try to balance that trash can? What should I do next?
3: Well, that's the perfect age though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like when you were 11 and you discover you can do anything, you think you can do everything. Totally. Like, it, There are no bounds to anything at that age
1: That is crazy Um, And we were saying um, between uh, segments It's great because it's the sort of thing that you feel like Tyler could have made that living as a traveling act in 1894 also And so it's just like this very um, kind of throwback traveling performer thing As it is for all minor league acts, all traveling sports acts But it's just like something from a different era And I love it so much, it's awesome It is awesome. Uh, So you can check out Tyler's travel schedule, his itinerary, uh, and when he will be at a ballpark or an arena uh, coming up near you from now through uh, the remainder of this 2022 campaign. And with that, let's talk about this 2022 campaign as we are over a week into the minor league season. uh, And we are learning a lot of early things about minor league talent. And that's where we're going to kick things off on this week's episode uh, on the on-field segment for uh, this minor league season. Sam, early standouts who are uh, catching your eye through the first week of games in minor league baseball so far?
3: Yeah. Well, one one group I want to shout out here real quick to start. There are going to be two that I'll focus on. And then I want to throw it back to you, Tyler, because you've done a couple of really good stories this week on MLB Pipeline on some of the bigger names and their standout performances. But one I'll start out with here is 2021 first-round short subs. So I'm talking about Jordan Lawler, Khalil Watson, uh, Brady House, Marcelo Meyer. All of those guys are off to incredible starts. They're all at low A or single A, I should say now, um, to to start the year. They're all 18, 19 years old. Um, All of them – well, House isn't necessarily a gifted defender. The other three are are pretty good defenders. Um, House is just a pure hitter, probably has the best power of that group. All of them are hitting at least 350 uh, to start the year. They have multiple homers. Marcelo Mayer isn't quite off to that – Power start, but he's batting 455 with a 1.091 OPS. Uh, Jordan Lawler is batting a clean 500. He's 12 for 24, two homers at single A Visalia. Khalil Watson is batting 368, but he has the most homers of the group at three. Brady House, um, like I said, probably has the best power of the group. He only has one homer so far through 25 plate appearances, but he is also batting 500. It's, it's really special to see these guys get off to these starts. I don't think there's anything in it necessarily. We're only a weekend. Everything comes with a small sample size asterisk. Uh, but it's just fascinating to me that coming into the year, we were pretty high on all four, um, maybe higher than a little bit of the industry, just because, you know, like Marcelo Mayer, thought he was the best overall hitter, thought he was the best defender in last year's draft class. Um, but he's still a high schooler. There are going to be bumps along the road. There haven't really been those yet so far for him at Salem. Um, And the fact that that extends to the other three guys as well is really, really fascinating. We'll see how much they're going to press the issue uh, this year, if they're going to get called up to high A and and get challenged there, or as the book gets out on them, are they going to be challenged more by single A pitchers? But I think that's really fascinating. Another one I want to shout out real quick is double A Binghamton in the Mets system. Now we knew this team was going most loaded prospect teams uh, in the minors to begin the 2022 season. Binghamton was, featured prominently on there because of the Mets' big three in Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, and Ronnie Mauricio. All three guys are off to really incredible starts, especially Alvarez and Beatty. Uh, Alvarez right now is batting 438. He has an OPS of 1569, which is incredible. He has three homers through his first 18 plate appearances. They've all been no doubters having watched them. Um, we thought coming into the year, you know, he had really special power, um, thought he could be a really good overall hitter as well. He's just young. He's only 20 years old at double A. Um, so definitely that's when you start to get challenged. He hasn't had that happen yet. Um, he was really good in the spring. I know Buck Showalter is projected uh, to be. So the fact that he's off east of double A Binghamton last year, off to a good start himself. He's batting 478. His OPS is 1261. Um, he's more of a doubles machine. He's got four doubles through 23 plate appearances, uh, but only one homer. But both of those guys, I mean, coming into the year, I thought Beatty was may, maybe going to help the Mets in the second half. It's crazy to say, because again, Alvarez is only 20 right now. If he reaches his potential this summer, there's every possibility that he could help out the Mets somehow. Uh, the biggest questions for him are defensively, but the NL now has the DH. Would them consider bringing him up and using his right-handed bat down the stretch? I don't want to get too wrapped up into this first week again, but again, Alvarez is somebody we thought, could be a gifted hitter, and he has very much looked the part uh, this year so far at Double A. So I just want to shout out those two groups, those shortstops and Binghamton um, as groups to watch here moving forward. But Tyler, I, I really like two of your stories this week. Um, one was on Max Meyer, uh, who had a great start, a perfect start, five-inning start for Triple A Jacksonville before suffering a calf injury. That doesn't sound too worrisome. And then you had one last night about Nick York staying in that Red Sox system. What can you tell us about your discussions with those two guys?
1: Yeah, those two guys were really fun to talk to. Uh, Max Meyer first. He threw five perfect innings uh, the other night in his start for A Jacksonville at Durham. And um, he came out for the sixth and threw a couple of warm-up pitches. And when he delivered, I think he said – it was either his first or his second warm-up pitch. He said he just got a cramp a Charlie horse in, the, in his right calf – um, trainer came out. He tried to, you know, throw another couple, stretch it out, do all that. And they made the determination that even though it's not a Clayton Kershaw situation, he's through five perfect innings in a triple A AAA game. Uh, but even though he was throwing a perfect game, they decided just to not risk it and, uh, and pulled him from that contest. But it was really interesting uh, talking with Max Meyer about where he is in the early stage of this season and hearing from him uh, the things that he is proudest of. And he said what he really likes so far this year is the fact that he's been able to really manage his emotions and and keep himself kind of centered and, um, and locked in. He talked about how he's had good thoughts in his head uh, through his first couple outings, especially last time out, uh, not wanting to... As soon as he gets back in the dugout after an inning, not wanting to immediately be back on the mound, he's been able to pace himself, uh, you know, take some rest in the dugout, uh, eat a little bit. He said, I I can eat some food when I get hungry. I asked him, like, what uh, what are you eating in game? And, you know, it's just like energy bars. I said, I thought you were going to tell me that you make like a big ham sandwich. And that's like what you hang out with in the dugout between innings. But um, it was really interesting conversation. With Max Meyer, he said, um, you know, he had all of his pitches working. He was able to spot, you know, fastball, off speed stuff, uh, his secondaries, and and do all of the things that he wants to do in a start in that game against Durham. Um, the, the calf situation is nothing uh, huge. He said after the game, he was already feeling back to normal. So he should be fine uh, to make his next scheduled start uh, next week. But Really interesting stuff for the Marlins 3rd ring prospect. That story is on uh, MLB.com slash pipeline uh, right now. And as you alluded, Nick York got a chance to talk to him, uh, the Red Sox first-round selection from 2020 last night. And, uh, man, what a fun conversation. Nick York really reminded me of – Blake Snell, the conversations that we used to have with Blake Snell um, when we would get to interview him when he was coming up. Just very thoughtful, very forthright with his answers. And the thing I thought was really cool about Nick York was he couldn't stop talking about how much he wants to – build relationships and friendships with his teammates. Um, he said, I, I thought this was a really interesting quote from a kid who came out of high school. He said, I didn't get that college experience of being around the same guys, you know, for four years or three years uh, to be a baseball player who then goes into the pro game. Um, so having teammates that he had played with last year in Salem and Greenville, now being back at high Eight Greenville with him this year, uh, he that's something that that Nick York is delighting in right now. And, you know, he's a young guy. He came out of high school in 2020, but he's already talking about wanting to, accept the leadership mantle of the guys who welcomed him to Greenville last year. He singled out, uh, singled out uh, Christian Koss, who was the shortstop last year in Greenville when he got there, and how comfortable he helped Nick York feel. And Nick said, I want to be able to do that for guys who are coming up now um, and making their high A debuts or are on this roster for the first time you know, to start a season. Uh, and that was really cool. But we talked to him because he had five hits yesterday. Hits in all of his first four games at the high A level this year. He did spend 21 games there last year uh, and something kind of similarly to what Max Meyer said. It's so mental in this sport. And for Nick York, he said his biggest um, point of emphasis for himself this year is realizing that he's going to get to go to bed and do it all again tomorrow. Uh, It's not a circumstance where, you know, if you struggle on one night, you got to wait a week uh, in order to to get out there and do the the things that you can do to erase the memory of a, a bad performance. Um, so, living more in the moment of hey, I want to I wanna focus on having fun and working on this process and being able to do that, the results will come. That's been the biggest thing for, for Nick York. So that was a really fun story that's up on the site right now uh, and MLB Pipeline as well. And uh, yeah, man, some cool early season storylines for top prospects uh, across minor league baseball. And that brings us to topic number two for this week's edition, which is uh, we're going to talk about, assignments right out of the gate for 2022 prospects. Sam, the most aggressive assignments that you have seen across the minor league landscape so far this year.
3: Yeah, I have a story up on MLB Pipeline right now, documenting and analyzing who I think are the most aggressive. And we'll get to this here in the next segment as well. But the least aggressive assignments to begin 2022. And there's two I want to touch on, Tyler. Maybe there have been some that have stood out to you. As well, both of these guys are at the double-A level. We'll start in the Marlins system. Another right-hander after we talked about Max Meyer earlier, Yuri Perez is 18 years old to start out the year. By the time you guys are hearing this, it'll actually probably be his 19th birthday. He's turning 19 uh, this Friday. But still, he was 18 years old to start the year. The Marlins started him out at double-A Pensacola. Now, there's all sorts of things that go into this First off, I think part of it was to get him out of the cold of the Midwest League. If he had started out at High A Beloit, where he made some starts last year, um, it would have been a cold atmosphere. It would have been probably difficult for him. Um, But also, you know, when we were putting together our top 100 this year, there was some feedback that Perez might be their best pitching prospect. And that's in a group that involves Sixto Sanchez and Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera. I mean, it's a loaded pitching group for the Marlins. He's as raw as anybody there, but he's also his ceiling might be higher than anybody as well. Um, he's got three above average to plus pitches. The fastball is his best, but he has a plus changeup, which is not something we often say about uh, 18 year olds. He has good control, which is really promising because he stands six foot eight. He's listed at 220, but he looks like a bean pole when you watch him pitch. Um, it's just fascinating to see the Marlins push him that quickly. Again, I think weather might have something to do with it, but also if they thought he only needed three or four starts at high A before he was ready for double A, maybe get him those starts in the warmer atmosphere, in the warmer climate, um, let him overcome some struggles. He did. It was a okay start. Uh, at cola he seemed to do well the first time through the lineup, and they figured him out the second time through. Um, so go, carrying into his second start, he has a 6.23 ERA. He pitched four and a third innings, struck out five, only walked two. So there's some things to build on there for sure. But I, I just thought it was fascinating that the Marlins decided to send this guy, who again, 18 years old, uh, to Double A was was really really interesting. Um, and also, I should note there are zero 18 year olds starting out the year at High A. So never mind Double A. Uh, staying at that same level, but we're going to move to the position player side. One of my favorite prospects coming into the year is Jordan Walker, a third baseman out of the Cardinal system. We made him the top. Well, we didn't make him the top prospects in the Cardinal system, but we ranked him as such uh, coming to this year. He jumped over Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor to claim that 19 years old himself. Uh, I believe he's the Youngest position player on a double a opening day roster this year. He's the youngest Texas leaguer. period. Uh, he doesn't hit like a teenager whatsoever. His raw power from the right side is plus plus easily. He put together some really special exit velocities last year at single a and high a, uh, Very limited time at high A. Well, not very limited, very limited time at single A, actually. Uh, The Cardinals got aggressive, pushed him to high A pretty quickly last year. But again, just based off the age, they would have been well within their rights to send him back to Peoria, Um, especially after last year. I think the Cardinals are rethinking just how aggressive they want to get with some of their prospects after it didn't work quite as well as they had hoped. Jordan Walker was not one of those guys. The guys hit everywhere he went. In 2021, um, they were really excited about him this year in camp. He seemed to fit right in with the Gormans of the world, with the Wanya Pez's of that organization. Um, they really think he's advanced offensively, and it's going to be fascinating to watch him defensively as well. Obviously, the uh, Cardinals moved Nolan Gorman from third base to second base because he was going to be bumping up against Nolan Arenado uh, in St. Louis. Jordan Walker, also a third baseman. When I talked to him uh, back in St. Louis camp down there in Jupiter, he said he started to work out a little bit in the outfield uh, during the offseason just to get some looks out there. He saw a little bit of first base as well, um, was trying to really hone in that part of his game. I think that's going to become a bigger part or a bigger focus uh, as he gets closer to St. Louis because the bat is really playing. And it's been really good to start the year as well. So he doesn't seem to be shying away from the spotlight at double A. Um, Tyler, in your you know nightly covering games, watching games, has there been anybody else who's really stood out to you like, wow, I'm surprised to see this guy here?
1: No, I mean I think you really covered um the guys who stand out the most. It's interesting to see which organizations are uh, content to test guys at higher levels. I think you also singled out something that um is very important in a lot of these decisions, which is young players who maybe are getting tested at higher levels, but also doing part to the fact that it keeps them out of bad weather situations through April, um, which is, you know, that's nothing to to sneeze at. If you're going to a spot, you know, in the Midwest League, for example, where especially for pitchers, I think um, a team is worried about sending a guy out there in, in 30 or 40 degree weather um, and messing with his development early on. That's a big decision for organizations to make and something that they're very cognizant of um, as they handle young players. But I think you really touched on a lot, um, you know, the the conversations around guys like Aurelius Martinez uh, and Jordan Walker are so exciting because they are players who are, you know, 20, 21 years old, 19 years old years old and we could be seeing them in the big leagues if all things go well by the time they're 21 or 22 um, and that's really cool and really exciting for the game the flip side of this conversation then is the guys who are in assignments right now that maybe are not very aggressive um, who is in that conversation right now to start 2022 for you
3: yeah so the one i'll start with uh right now is, is actually somebody who pitched just last night and dominated at AA arkansas it's george kirby of the Seattle Mariners organization. And he had this great quote uh, speaking to our Joe Treza after his start. He It was five scoreless innings, only gave up two hits, didn't walk a batter, struck out eight over five scoreless innings uh, for Arkansas. And he had this quote that said, when everything is working and I'm throwing strikes, I kind of feel unstoppable, honestly. And – the reason why I highlight Kirby here is because some of you might have seen Matt Brash's major league debut this year for Seattle or this week. Um, looked pretty good at least the first and second time through the lineup got eaten up a little bit. The third time through, um, special breaking stuff for him. Good velocity, whatever. He won the fifth uh, starting spot in the Mariners rotation, but he was going up against George Kirby. That there was a lot of discussion. Those guys were kind of piggybacking. It was like Kirby would go four innings. Kirby. Uh, Brash would go four innings. Kirby would go a couple after him, whatever. But they were in competition for that fifth spot. And the Mariners really believe in Kirby and think he can be maybe a top of the rotation starter for them someday. So for them to say all that and to give him the opportunity to win a major league role and then to send him down two pegs to Arkansas was just a little surprising to me. We go back to what we were just talking about, Tyler, with with weather. Yeah, if you had started him at AAA Tacoma, Tacoma opened at home last week. Sending a guy to... Uh, the the Northwest to begin a season in April, that's not exactly going to go always great. There could be delays. There could be rain. There could be – I think they even had snow in Washington this past week. Um, so if you want a guy to be consistently pitching and to be on the top of his stuff to begin the season, I can understand sending him to the Texas League and sending him to Arkansas. Also, Tacoma, I think its second week was opening – or it, it opened up in Tacoma but then was going to Albuquerque, and Albuquerque is an extreme – Here's environment. So if he's your, you know, your top prospect now that Julio Rodriguez is in the majors or your top pitching prospect anyway, uh, what is, you know, maybe you don't want him to go to Albuquerque and get shelled because he gives up a few fly balls that would be doubles or even caught many other ballparks. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but I still feel that sending Kirby to double a, um, was not as aggressive as necessarily it could have been. I would have liked to have seen him at AAA because the control might be the best in the minor leagues. Um, he's increased his velocity last year to the point where on stuff alone, he would be a top 100 prospect. You throw in that control, it's number two starter stuff, and it could be ace-level stuff at, at a certain point if this continues. We just need to see more of him. Um, so Kirby acknowledging in that quote to Joe the other night, um, saying, I feel unstoppable when everything's on. He's certainly proving it early, uh, and I would not be surprised if he only gets one or two more starts there for Arkansas before he moves up uh, to join the Rainiers and gets one step closer to Seattle, and maybe we even see him in Seattle in the first half of the season, depending on how their rotation kind of shakes out. Um, but yeah, that's that's the major one that stood out to me. I, I had a couple other ones in the story. Um, obviously, O'Neill Cruz being back in Indianapolis, that's been broken down to bits everywhere. Um, they say it's, it's his glove that needs work, and I understand it. He's a very tall shortstop he's gotten one start in left field. If you need him to work on his defense in the outfield, you should probably play him in the outfield more. That's just my thought on him because the bat is major league ready right now. We saw that at the tail end of last year. If you thought he was major league ready in October, it's probably still major league ready in April. So keep an eye on O'Neill Cruz, as I'm sure many of you are. And uh, also Austin Wells in the Yankee system. Um, Somebody who split last year between single A and high A, ended the year in the Arizona Fall League, was really strong there. Thought he might follow Anthony Volpe to double-A Somerset. Instead, the Yankees are, are keeping him at high-A Hudson Valley. Defense is the major question with him, even worse so than it is with Cruz. Uh, as a catcher, he's not a great catcher um, right now. It's all the bat that draw, drives his profile. Uh, but still, like you can work on your defense at double-A, and I think we're going to get to the point where if he's hitting 300, 350, slugging 500, uh, by the end of April, he's going to the bat's going to need the challenge no matter where the glove's at. So, just a couple of ones to keep your eye on. Those are probably going to be early movers um, based off what their opening assignments were. And there are various reasons for that. But um, just a little surprised by where those guys are starting out 2022.
1: I've got one for you that I don't think is necessarily a non aggressive assignment. I think it could be a um, a weather sort of situation as well, but also one that may, uh, push a guy pretty quickly. And that is last year's one, one Henry Davis, uh, who right now is with high eight Greensboro. I completely get the assignment. He only got a chance to play eight games last year as a pro player. He played two, uh, and rookie ball, uh, in the Florida complex league. And then he did make it up to Greensboro for six games before the end of the season there. But I don't anticipate that Henry Davis is going to be there for long, the Louisville product, um, who, You know, he comes in already with uh, outstanding tools across the board, a reason why they uh, were able to nab him with the first overall pick, the the Pittsburgh Pirates. They have sent him uh, to get his start this season at Greensboro, and already there he's OPSing 984. (laughs) It's only five games, but I would imagine that Henry Davis is probably going to push himself uh, sooner rather than later. The thing is... Put him at double A, all of a sudden he's in Altoona, uh, an unpredictable weather spot as well, a place that can be very cold early on in the season. So, you know, these are things that are taken into account. So if you look at where a guy is and think, wow, that's a weird assignment. A lot of times there are um, further, especially for what seem to be less aggressive assignments a lot of times there are further conversations than just oh well we're sliding this guy or we don't think this guy is ready or x y and z um but somebody to keep an eye on is certainly uh last year's first overall pick henry davis and um that'll do it for our on-field conversation we got a very fun episode of ghost of the miners ahead and then sam and i are back to wrap up the show coming up next We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson.
0: Welcome back the minors in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was so real you could bite into them. The others were ponier than my dentures. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Lynn Leonardites. B. The Carnegie Wagnerians. C, the two Larry Lombardinos. You're correct if you went out on a Lynn and picked A. The Lynn Leonardites, who played in the Massachusetts burg that inspired the rhyme, Lynn Lynn, the city of sin. You ask for water, but they give you gin. You won't come out the way you went in. The Leonardites took their name from a man who did not leave baseball in New England the same when you went out as it was when you came in manager Frank Leonard Leonard's first miners managerial job was way back in 1898, helping the Manchester farmers of New Hampshire, and he didn't quit until his St. John Marathons way up in northern Maine saw their league disband in August 1913 when Leonard was 53 years old. When Leonard endeavored to lead the Leonardites, the Lynn team had been popularly called the Shoemakers, a reference to the town standing as a historic tannery and uh shoemaking place as far back as 1888 and as recently as 1910. Indeed, Leonard himself laced up the lineup for the Shoemakers of 1905 through 1908. But after finishing seven and a half games out of first place in 1910, Lynn took a long look at its needs and for 1911 got Frank. Frank Leonard, who returned only to helm the newly named Leonardites to an even worse finish. 60-60, and 60, 15 and a half games back from the pennant-winning Lowell Tigers. In 1912, the Leonardites sort of outlasted their Leonard, as Frank served only as business manager, a role similar to general manager, for most of the year, stepping in only to field the duties assigned to field manager Terry McGovern after McGovern endured a season-ending split finger. By the time the 1913 campaign rolled around, Leonard was off to an adventure in Maine, and Lynn had reclaimed its soul as the Shoemakers, giving the league a fresh change of linds.
4: <laughs>
0: and that's how the Leonardites lost their status as neophytes. Now, onto the question for next time. Which of these potato-like teams got their starch up in the miners of yesteryear? A, the Ketchum Ketchup Dunkers. B, the Wink Sputters. C, the Caribou Crispers. Want to know the answer? ask for the large fry or tune into the next ghosts of the miners but for now you'll have to excuse me my producer ben hill is working at a dairy farm up in the alps and he can't handle the high cheese
4: segment
1: for this week's episode of the show before the show milb.tv is your place to catch all of the top talent across minor league baseball sam what are you watching on uh milb tv this week
3: yeah so i got my eye on worcester at syracuse they will be starting up a series next tuesday um the reason i got my eye on that is because tristan Casas, um top red Sox prospect you know Knocking on the door of the major leagues, obviously started out this year, AAA this past week. He's played in Worcester. The, these games will be in Syracuse, but his swing is just so perfect for the Worcester wall. It's essentially the green monster, but it's blue and it's in right field instead of left field in Worcester because of where they need to put the ballpark. But he had one homer this week that was measured according to TrackMan at 477 feet. Now it's a short portion, right? But that's going to obviously go out anywhere. Uh, he said himself that it was the longest homer he's hit. So now what happens when we get him out on the road, get him to Syracuse, he doesn't have that Worcester wall anymore. How is that power going to play? can be keeping a close eye on that one. Also, Syracuse themselves have a really good power bat, a young power bat in Mark Vientos, the number four Mets prospect. Um, had a great year last year, off to a slower start this year. Uh, they've only played him at third base so far as of recording right now. They're probably going to get him some time in left field, uh, again, because he... Is going to be knocking on the door, he's not great defensively. He has Brett Beatty coming up from behind him, but Mark Vientos was one of the standout uh, performers at such a young age. I think he was age 21 last year between double A AA and AAA. dominated both levels back at triple A now, trying to work his way to Queens. Um, so you got a left handed uh slugger and Tristan Casas on one side, you got a right handed slugger and Mark Vientos on the other. Could be a lot of power coming to Syracuse next week, so keep an eye out on that Worcester Syracuse series. Tyler, what are you looking at?
1: Well, we talked uh, a little bit earlier about Max Meyer, um, the Marlins prospect, and he is part of a rotation that is really, really interesting with that Jacksonville team, uh, the AAA affiliate of the Marlins now and Jacksonville uh, this week on the road at Durham next week. Uh, the jumbo shrimp as they continue along at the early stages of this 2022 campaign will be home to Gwinnett. So they get an opportunity to take on Atlanta uh prospects at home. And it isn't just Max Meyer on that roster. I was, you know, looking over that squad. Um before talking to him to say like who is Who else is in that rotation right now Braxton Garrett's on that team uh, with him a guy We've talked about a lot um, but even you know Guys who are coming out of the bullpen Tommy Evel The former uh, college football player the Former Central Florida wide receiver South Florida wide receiver sorry Tommy um, There's some really interesting guys who are on That roster and not just on the the Pitching side the position player side as well uh, They're loaded with talent they got and Diaz there he's Diaz is there uh, The outfield has both JJ Bleday And Peyton Burdick um, that Jacksonville team has some really interesting components and pieces to it and they will be home to take on the Gwinnett Stripers coming up next week in Jacksonville so uh, a lot of good stuff you can subscribe at MILB.TV of course and catch all the top talent across minor league baseball this year and uh that'll do it big thanks to the amazing Tyler as well as Benjamin Hill Joshua Jackson and uh for Sam Dykstra I'm Tyler Maugham we'll talk to you next week